as we look in God's word, um, I hope there's times when we sing songs that you sit there and say, that sounds so familiar. Why is that? And as, hopefully as you're reading scripture and then you hear the songs we sing, you see that connection. It's like, ah, oh. um, the songs we sing this in the morning are not meant to entertain. Uh, the songs we sing are meant to draw us into closer worship with the God that we love. Amen. Well, hey, happy Mother's Day. Um, it's often uh, that time of the year, you know, and we get that one moment. Moms, this is it. Soak it up while you can, right? The children, children, you are encouraged. I say children. Um, I still have a mom, so I guess I'm still there. Uh, to get a card, write a letter, uh, at least send a text message, do something. Express uh, your gratitude, your love to mom. Um, and again, some of you in here, you may not be a mom, but you have been a mom to so many kids. Uh, we don't have aunt day, I think, or niece day, or uh, I don't know, sister's day, but we, we have mom's day. But some of you who are not moms, you have been moms uh, to so many. And I just want to say we appreciate you. And let's be honest, God has gifted you ladies with virtues that us men do not have, okay? Uh, you are nurturing, you are attentive, you have these caring attitudes. Uh, when a little child, let's say, for instance, um, they fall down and scrape themselves. Ladies, you help them up. You wash off their wound. You, you kiss their boo-boo and you get the little Band-Aid out and you very carefully place it over and pat their little ouchie. Men, we're like, here's a Band-Aid, don't get a paper cut and don't tell mom. Right? And that's about it. That's as far as it goes. There's, there's a big difference but in how we handle things. So, ladies, thank you. Thank you for being you. Uh, I ran across a few messages from kids to their moms, and it basically reminded me of, of, of how much you're needed. So, enjoy these. Thanks, Mom, for always being there, even when I call you at 3M because I can't figure out how to use the washing machine. Mom, you're a superhero, not just because you can find my missing socks in under 10 seconds. Mom, you're the glue that holds our family together and the one to make sure we all don't kill each other during the holidays. Mom, you're my favorite person to call when I need help uh, or when I complain about something. And let's be real, I complain a lot. Thanks for always pretending to like my weird art projects as a kid. Mom, I know they were actually terrible. And finally... Thanks for being my emergency contact for 30 years, Mom. I promise I'll eventually put somebody else down. Yeah. Well, Moms, um, when I read a lot of those quotes in, in preparation for this, I was sitting there thinking, like, it's like, Moms, it's, it's, it's like, you know how to, to save the day. You know what I'm saying? Um, thank you. I mean, you, you bandage the cut. You, you help when it hurts. You wipe the tears. You clean up the spills. You, you mend the ripped clothing. Uh, you, you save the day for helping your kids when they forget something at school or, or they have a last-minute project. Hey, mom, can you help me? Or it's drive everyone to practice. You are the queen chauffeur, right? You make a meal. You make a snack. Uh, you feed the team. You teach life lessons. Uh, you, you, you discipline, even when we don't want to be disciplined. Um, and for you single moms out there, you're trying to work and clean the house and make sure you don't lose a kid somewhere in some uh, store, right? Well, the list goes on. So, ladies, as I'm going through all that, it's almost like, it's almost like you were created to, to save the day, right? Modern day heroes is, is what you are. And then I thought, well, are there women like that in the Bible? 
Absolutely there are. So I want to point out um, some women from the Bible, their actions, their faith. Uh, it was as if they were created to save the day. So I want to start off with, with first of all, with Sarah, Genesis chapter 11. Uh, Sarah married to Abram. Uh, there were promised children that would outnumber the stars in the sky. But here's Sarah, childless, wondering like, God, I thought you said we we're going to have a bunch of kids. We got nothing. 25 years later, they finally have Isaac. Now, can, ladies, can you imagine, and some of you can, waiting that long for a blessing? Well, Sarah modeled patience. Then there's Hagar, an Egyptian slave and mid, uh, mid-servant to, maidservant to Sarah, the wife of Abraham. She didn't have much to say about anything, especially on becoming Abraham's wife. And once Hagar became pregnant with Abraham's child, this rift developed between her and Sarah. After receiving a lot of mistreatment from Sarah, Hagar fled uh, the country. She left her, and she's going to her homeland. But an angel of the Lord met her where she was at. Hagar was hoping to escape her misery, but God said, I need you to return. And she obeyed God, and God blessed her as he promised. Uh, Here's one, Jochebed. And Jochebed uh, is a name that some of you are like, who is Jochebed? Um, Let's go back to uh, Egypt and the Pharaoh. And as the Pharaoh has all these Hebrew people almost starting to outnumber the Egyptians, he makes them slaves. And he says, this still isn't working. There's still too many Hebrews. So he commanded the Hebrew midwives uh, to kill the Hebrew baby boys when they were born. But they didn't, the midwives didn't listen. Matter of fact, his decree, the Pharaoh said, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Well, there's this Levite woman, uh, Jochebed, who gave birth to a son, hid him for three months. Finally got to the point where she couldn't hide him anymore, so she got this little papyrus basket covered with pitch tar and, and um, tar and pitch and placed the baby in it. Then she put it in the reeds in the Nile River. Her, uh, the sister Miriam watched from a distance to make sure this baby wouldn't float away anywhere. Well, it just so happens that the Pharaoh's daughter spots the basket, pulls it out, finds the baby. Miriam quickly intervenes and says, uh, you probably need somebody to take care of that baby to nurse it. Uh, I can go find a Hebrew lady to do that. Sure, so Miriam go gets her mom, Jochebed. Jochebed takes care of raising Moses until Moses eventually ends up in the palace. I think about how Jochebed was determined to find a way, any way possible, to save her son. Naomi, her and her family uh, fled to the country of Moab because of a famine in her land. But her husband dies. Her sons marry these Moabite women. And about 10 years later, after these sons pass away, Naomi is like, I'm just going to go back to my homeland. So she looks at her two daughter-in-laws, Oprah and Ruth, and says, you can just go back to your homeland if you want. Oprah says, I'll "I'll go back uh, to my homeland and to my home gods. Uh, Ruth, on the other hand, says this, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And when you die... I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it so severely, even if death separates you and me. Ruth was already learning from Naomi's faith about how during a time of bitterness, how to stay, stay with it. Naomi continued to watch out for Ruth and instruct her wisely as she met her kinsman, Redeemer Boaz. Then we come to Elizabeth. 
Like we all know Elizabeth married to the priest Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Uh, we, we read that story, how uh, they were righteous. They obeyed all of God's commands. But Elizabeth, again, she was old. She was childless. She prayed for years to have a baby. God said, I heard your prayer. Uh, angel of the Lord came to Zechariah and said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will call him John. Elizabeth was obviously overjoyed at this blessing of life. She was obedient. She was faithful to God despite her condition. And as you all know, John, John the Baptist grows up baptizing people as they repented from their sins. Mary, the final one we'll point out real quick here. Again, we've got a nice list of, of women here who are like created to save the day, right? And we get to Mary and think, well, why wouldn't she be on the list? Again, here's this virgin young girl thinking, uh, who am I uh, in this world? And she's visited by an angel, Gabriel. He said in Luke 131, you will conceive, give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He'll be very great. He'll be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He'll reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Mary treasured all those things in her heart. Here she goes, she's going to raise the Savior of the world in her home. And she's going to watch him grow up and grow through puberty and adolescence and, and young adulthood. And then she's going to watch him be, uh, she's going to watch him be insulted and cruelly beaten and then crucified. And her heart's going to get crushed as she watches her son die, but then she's going to be filled with joy when she sees the resurrection. That's Mary. Well, again, look at the list. Incredible women of faith, right? Uh, and, and you listen carefully. As much, as much as we want to honor the moms this morning and the women of faith, they aren't saviors. Listen very carefully. You aren't a savior either. Even though it's, it's, like, it's almost like you were created to save the day for your kids, listen carefully. Your title is not of that of savior. Let me tell you what you are. You are God's precious treasures. You are his masterpiece. You are his creation. You, ladies, you have been created with purpose. You've been created with dignity. You've been created with uniqueness. You are God's special creation. And I want you to hear that. There, there's, there's only one savior. And we don't have to be it. You... Father's Day, you'll probably hear the same thing from him. Men, you don't have to save the day either because you're not saviors. There's only one savior. And you know, that statement right there is actually what got Peter and John in big trouble. In your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter three. It's a New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you come to the book of Acts, Acts chapter three. If you remember from last week, Peter and John healed this man that had been lame since birth. They healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. And when that happened, it created this, this huge crowd. They were at the temple, so there's already a lot of people there. But now this huge crowd starts to gather. And so Peter looks around, he sees this large crowd, and he says, I've got an opportunity here. I'm going to seize the opportunity, I'm going to address the crowd. Look at verse 13. He says this, For it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this, probably pointing at the lame man. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over when you rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one 
instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead and were witnesses to this fact. Peter addressed the crowd and he's like, listen, Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the savior. And he's like, you all know this, right? He's standing there, there's a layman. You know he was crippled from birth, right? You all know this. And you also know about Jesus. You know who Jesus is. He's the one who saves. He's the one who heals the Son of God. Oh, whom, by the way, you insulted. You ridiculed. You falsely accused. You were, you, some of you right here, you were part of the crowd that screamed out, crucify him. Peter doesn't hold back. Peter's like, listen, maybe, listen, maybe you didn't have a hand on a hammer that drove the spike in there, but listen, you did nothing to stop it. You cheered him on. You are just as guilty as the Roman soldier who held the hammer. There's a, a line from uh, the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson. It's one of my favorite lines. It's after uh, a scene where he rescues his son, and he's sitting there having this conversation, and, and he's told, you, don't, you shouldn't be ashamed of what you did. And he says, it's not the things that I've done that I'm ashamed of. It's the things that I've not done that I am ashamed of. And there's a lot of times in life we're ashamed of the sins we've committed, but sometimes there should be, we should be ashamed of the things that we've not done for God. And that's almost like what, what Peter's getting at here. And it's like, it's like, ow, Peter, that hurts. It's like you're stepping all over the toes of all these people. And Peter's like, listen, this is truth. And Peter looks around and he's like, I can see it in their eyes. They're starting to understand that what they did was wrong. And when somebody understands what they did was wrong, they got to figure out how to make it right. And Peter looks at him and he says this. He says, verse 19, Now repent of your sins. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And in times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. He realizes, you know what? They need to repent. Here's what you need to do. Repent of your sins. And when you repent, then you'll feel that joy. Then you'll feel that peace. Your shame will be taken away. And Peter goes back in history. So you start to continue to read through the rest of this chapter. Peter goes through history, pointing back to various prophets, various men from the Old Testament and then their books and what they wrote. Because people have been in the temple. They've been, the scrolls have been opened. The priests have written through the, all these, these different scrolls. The people that were there, they heard. They heard about Jesus from long ago from these prophets. They knew. Stories have been passed down from generation to generation, dinner table to dinner table, of what God did and how faithful God was. So they, they knew. And so he connects all these prophets and how they spoke to Jesus with what Jesus did in healing the lame man. He then says, verse 26, When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. So Peter's making sure that everybody understands that's listening. I goes, listen, listen, I'm, I'm sharing all this because I want you to understand. Jesus is the one who saves. Not Peter, not John, not your pastor, not your worship leader, not the guy in the street corner. Jesus is the one who saves. Chapter four, turn there to chapter four, verses one and two. We read this. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe, the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection, okay? Verse three, they arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. This was a 
forceful arrest. It was an intimidation factor. Peter, John, we're going to arrest you. We're going to point our fingers at you. We're going to say all kinds of things. We're going to throw you in jail. And you just sit there and you think about what you did. Okay. When you consider all the opposition from the various groups and the individuals, it's almost as if these people in charge, the religious leaders, the Sadducees, like, hey, Peter, John, I hope you're listening, but here's the deal. Um, you're allowed to preach only because we're, we're giving you permission to preach. You see, we, we have all the authority. You have no authority. And anytime we want, we can just carry you off the jail. That's, I think that's the kind of message they were trying to send to Peter and John. And Peter and John are like, whatever. We know where all authority comes from. And it's not from you. And despite all that opposition that they faced, check out what happens in verse 4. But it says, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed that day totaled to 5,000. Now, if you remember earlier chapter, 3,000 people came to give their life to Jesus Christ. Now Peter and John addressed the crowd. Another 2,000 have totaled up. We got to 5,000 people now that are new Christians, new Christ followers. That, that opposition, this wiggling your finger, this putting you in jail, did nothing to slow down the gospel. It just increased it. Look at verse 5. The next day of the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious laws, they met in Jerusalem. So here they all, they all get together. They, they, they pull Peter and John in front of them. They say, hey, by what power, by whose name have you done this? Peter and John like, we've been saying this all along, right? All right. You're trying to intimidate us. We get it. This same group of leaders, these are the same group of leaders that condemned Jesus to death. These are the same leaders that decided we're going to crucify Jesus. Now they're trying to scare Peter and John. And it says Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He is empowered and he says this, do what you want, oh, I'm sorry, do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Peter's getting fired up. Why not? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's like, you want to know who? You want to know authority? You want to know a power? You want to know a name? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the name. And then he drops the hammer with verse 12. This is the verse. If any verse you walk out of here today, this is the verse I want you to hear. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter says this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You know what Peter's doing? Peter's repeating what Jesus said probably right before they were in the upper room. When they were together, Jesus said, hey, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. So what's Peter saying? Peter's saying, hey, there's salvation in no other name. The only way to heaven? Through Jesus Christ. The only way to God? Through Jesus Christ. Peter didn't merely proclaim that Jesus was a way. He said he is the way, the only way. The idea that there is uh, no salvation in any other name, and that there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must save is hard for some people to swallow. There's a lot of people out there that will not step foot into this church that do not like Pastor Rex because Pastor Rex stands at the pulpit, opens up God's word, and tells you what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and life. No, other, no man comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus said that, not me. Jesus said that. There's no other way to heaven, church, except through Jesus. Because I preach that, because of that, People will not step foot in here. Why? Because they think you can get to heaven any way you want. The world hates those statements. 
If you believe that, like I believe that, you'll be laughed at, you'll be persecuted, you will, you will testify to the exclusivity of uh, the, ex- the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. And it sounds so exclusive. Oh, we're leaving out this group of people. We're leaving out that group of people. It sounds so exclusive. You want to know why? Because it is. Not everybody goes to heaven, church. Not everybody goes to heaven. We don't deserve it. We are not entitled to heaven. If you're in here this morning and you think you deserve heaven, you're wrong. If I think I deserve heaven, I'm wrong. We're entitled to one thing, eternal separation from God. We deserve it. Our sins, our mistakes keep us from a holy God. We just think about how holy he is. Church, I don't know if you know this. We're not. So we do not deserve heaven. We do not deserve to be in the presence of God. It's only by the grace of God that we get to go to heaven. Anyone, anyone who believes can go to heaven. Instinctively, we say, well, isn't there something I can do to save myself? Listen, um, if you're going to be rescued, if you're going to be made right with God, the only way is Jesus. That's the only way. Does this mean that everyone must make a personal decision to accept Jesus Christ to be rescued from eternal peril? Yes. Everyone has to make that decision. Your your grandma doesn't make that decision for you. Your mom doesn't make that decision for you. Your friends don't make that decision for you. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't do enough good works to get yourself there. There's nothing we can do. If someone wants to believe that all are saved, if somebody wants to believe that, if somebody wants to believe that all roads lead to heaven, if somebody wants to believe that you can take this religion, that religion, this religion, that religion, piece it together and get the best religion so you can get to heaven, if you want to believe that, if somebody wants to believe that, you are free to believe that. But the Bible does not teach that. Why am I so adamant about that? Because people are dying and going to hell and we're not doing anything about it sometimes. Because we're afraid of what somebody else might say. If you love somebody, you tell them the truth. Because I love you, I'm telling you the truth. If you don't want to hear the truth, that's your choice. You get to accept or reject truth. That's the way it was. Peter and John, are, they've got crowds of people. You can accept this truth or reject this truth. Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified, is the name above all names. And only under that name can you be saved. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I had somebody ask one time, I don't like going to True North because you ever talk about it's Jesus. I don't know what you're going to talk about if you don't go to church, right? We're not here to talk about me. We're not here to talk about a great program or whatever. We're here to talk about what God's word says. And sometimes it's hard because the truth in there, we don't want to hear it because we're hearing all these other things in this world that just come against us. Women, Ladies, we give thanks for you. We do. And all that God has equipped you to do. God has equipped and empowered you by God's spirit to be godly, to reflect the the righteousness of God to a very needy world, starting in your home. And for that, women, I say thank you. But there's something that you don't have to do. And this morning I'm giving you permission to release yourself from any kind of guilt or any kind of like, I need to, I need to. Here's the one thing, ladies, you do not have to do. You don't have to save the world. Jesus is our Savior. You just reflect the Savior with the uniqueness and the empowerment of God's Spirit. You just reflect Him. The one who loves you, the one who saves you. 
Just reflect him. You probably have heard about this story. It took place oh, 20 or, I'm sorry, about 15 years ago. It was in 2008. Western Oregon, Central Washington College softball teams are facing, each off, facing off in a very decisive game. Um, hundreds of fans gathered together. Uh, obviously, the winner of this divisional playoff moves on. The loser, done, right? So both teams, like, we, we want to win. We want to keep playing. Well, right fielder, um, for, um, I believe it's Western Oregon, gets up to bat. Not a very good hitter. Matter of fact, earlier in the game, she was in, in right field and she made an error and cost her team and she's feeling pretty bad. So she's up to bat, two girls are on base and she's thinking, if I could just get a hit, I could sort of redeem myself and get rid of that moment that I just, I blew it. Well, she gets up to bat and she did more than get a hit. She got a home run, her first career home run. Never in life has she ever hit a home run. She hits a home run. She's so excited. She's running to first base and she, and she just runs past first base and the coach yells at her like, stop, you missed first base. So she turns around and she turns around. She blows out a ligament in her knee and goes down. Now understand this. A coach can't touch her. Her, player, her teammates cannot touch her or she's out. So she crawls back to first base, pulls her knee up close to her body and just cries. She can't move on. How is she going to get to home plate? And I think about that moment, I, and I, I have to ask myself, aren't there times in life when I'm like, like Sarah in that moment? Her name is uh, Sarah Tukolsky. Aren't there moments in that life when I'm, I'm down, it's like, I don't know how to get up and move on. Aren't we all there at times, maybe physically, emotionally, spiritually. Some of you in this church have gotten news of cancer in your life and you're dealing with that. Some of you in this church have emotionally been through all kinds of things and you're just like, I don't know if I can keep going. Some of you spiritually are hurting right now and you're like, I don't know how to get out of this dark spot in my life. I think we've all been in those moments where we're, where we're just, we're just, we're not dealing with broken bones and torn ligaments. We're dealing with broken hearts. We're dealing with, with tired spirits, weak emotions and declining hopes. And the question is, how do we get up? How do we get up and go home? Well, how did the lame man in Acts chapter 3 get up? How did the, the demon possessed, how did the sick, how did the sorrowful 2,000 years ago get up? They did through Jesus Christ. By the name of Jesus Christ, they learned how to get up, how to find healing, how to find hope. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 15 says this. So then, since we have such a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. We're reminded we have this high priest he is able to understand, church, very simply put, God gets us. He fully understands right where you're at. He knows what's going on in your life. I love us. John chapter 1, God becomes flesh. Okay, God becomes flesh, Jesus Christ. He makes his dwelling among us. He was human and divine. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, 19 say this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So even though 
Jesus appeared human, he was actually God. The fullness of God took up residency in his body of Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So listen, Jesus grew up. He went through puberty and adolescence and young adulthood. He dealt with a a declining culture around him. He dealt with probably sore muscles and, and weird relationships with friends and different challenges. He faced temptation. He faced everything that you and I face. It's just packaged a little bit differently today. So he knows. He understands what every one of you and I are going through. A sorrowful moment, a depressive moment, he gets it. See, so when we pray, listen church, when we pray, God understands our prayers. He gets it. When we pray for those in our church with surgeries, with cancer, with sickness, he understands. When, When Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus, do you remember what happened? He wept because Lazarus was like a brother to Jesus and Lazarus is dead. And it's like death acted like this big bully that comes along and made everybody fearful and sad. And Jesus is like, I'm tired of death being like a bully. And the God of peace crushed Satan under his feet and brought Lazarus back to life. That's what God, he wept and then he's like, that's it. I'm I'm gonna show you who's in charge here. And what Jesus did that day reminds us that those who call upon the name of the Lord, you are saved and you have an eternal hope. Someday, those that we love that have passed away, including ourselves, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we'll be resurrected as well. We have that kind of hope. So in our pain and in our sorrow and in our frustration, Jesus understands you. Because he is human, he understands. But because he is divine, he can help you. He's our savior. So let's go back to the softball moment. Sarah's sitting on first base, crying, not sure what to do. Coach knows he can't touch her. Teammates know they can't do anything. Crowd's getting restless. Come on, get the game going. Umpires are still huddled up. We don't know what to do. Entry, a young lady by the name of Mallory Holtman. See, Mallory Holman is the first baseman for Central Washington. She's a senior. She wants to win just as much as Sarah does, who's sitting on the base. And Mallory goes over to the umpires and says, can I help her around the bases? One umpire is like, why would you do that? Another umpire is like, go for it. So Mallory goes over to her shortstop, grabs the shortstop. They go back over to Sarah. They look at Sarah in the eyes, and they say, we're going to pick you up. We're going to carry you around the bases. And Sarah just starts to, tears just start to streak down her cheeks. And she's like, thank you. They carefully put one arm under Sarah's legs and the other under her arm. They passed by each bag, slowly bending down so with her good leg she could touch the base and go to the next base and go to the next base. And by the time she got to home plate, the crowd, both, both teams, the point, they're all standing, they're all cheering her on. See, the only one who could help, helped. And because she did, Sarah made it home. Church, listen, God offers the same help to us. There's only one who can pick you and I up and carry us home. There's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved, and that is Jesus. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, listen very carefully. I'm asking a simple question. 
do you know this Jesus? He's the only one that can save us. I want you to know him. I can't force you to know him. I just try to introduce you to him every Sunday because I know what he has to offer and he's the only one that can take us home. He's the only one that can help. You know, I will never forget when I was seven years old, it was a Sunday night. I'm in my room. My brother and I shared a bedroom. There's, again, there's six of us kids and my one brother and I, we had this one bedroom upstairs and, and I'll never forget. He's like, Rex, you're gonna burn and go to hell. By the way, that's not a great witnessing tool. Just want to throw that out there, okay? You don't tell a seven-year-old that, okay? Because what do seven-year-olds do when they get told that? They cry. I cried. I was like, I don't know what happened that night at church. It must have been some kind of revival going on at our church, but I guess my brother was fired up. He felt I needed to be fired up. So he's like, tells me this. And I'm like, I go downstairs with my mom and dad, and, I go, and I, I'm going down and crying with them. And I'll never forget that moment because here's what happened that night. My mom and I prayed, and I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Now, here's the thing. My mom, my mom is not my savior. My mom introduced me to my savior. And I'm forever grateful. My mom is, is, is not my savior. See, but my mom reflects my savior. Moms, you don't have to save anybody today. You just get to reflect the God that you love. You get to reflect the savior of your life. You get to reflect the one who empowers and equips you with his spirit to live righteous, holy lives. That's what you get to do. You don't have to save anybody. I'm gonna ask all the women to stand. So ladies, would you all stand? Men, you stay seated. Ladies, please stand. Uh, that includes the little girls. For the youngest girl in here to the oldest, I wanna pray for you. Ladies, I believe some of you in this room maybe grew up in a Christian home and you were well-loved and well-taken care of. Some of you, not so much. Some of you have gone through abuse and pain. Some of you have gone through all kinds of physical challenges in life. Some of you have gone through emotional and depressional uh, issues and it's, you, you've often wondered, I don't even wanna get out of bed, how am I gonna do it? Some of you have doubted your ability to live for Christ. Some of you don't even feel worthy I want you to know those are all lies. You are loved. The God of this universe looks at every one of you ladies and said, you are specially created by the King of Kings. You are uniquely gifted. I wanna pray for you now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I wanna pray for the women in this church right now, for the ladies that are standing, for the young girls and, and the older moms and, and the grandmas in here and, and the older women in here. From young to old, Lord, I just pray right now for your spirit just to fall upon them and for them to understand and know how loved they are. God, release them of any kind of pressure or stress of them thinking they have to live up to a certain standard to be loved to think that they have to go out and, and, and save the world, that, that it's up to them to accomplish this or that. Lord, just release them of that pressure. Lord, let them just be your child today. Embrace them with your Holy Spirit, with your arms. Pull, your, pull them close to you, Lord, today. Let them know that they are loved. Let them know that they are forgiven. Let them know that they have value. Heavenly Father, I pray that if somebody else has tried to put a price tag on these women, that they are wrong. 
the value that each and every one of these women have has been given by you. They are your masterpieces. God, I pray for, for the women in here that have, been, that have been broken, that have been hurt. Lord, I pray for healing upon them right now. Lord, whether it's a physical ailment, whether it's cancer, whether it's something going on in life, Lord, I pray for healing on their bodies. Lord, I pray for them in their minds. If emotionally and intellectually they, they've been challenged and they're wondering, they've got all these, these negative thoughts going through their mind and, and they're wondering, how can I get out of this, this darkness? God, would you free them, Lord? Remove the chains, remove the darkness, bring them into the light. Let them know that they are forgiven. Let them know they're loved. Let them know, Lord, what is truth. Lord, may their minds be focused on what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Lord, let these things fill their minds. Let their minds be filled with the heavenly things. Lord, empower these women to live in a way that they reflect you. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. And Lord, for the little girls in this church, may they grow up place their faith in you, that they will believe the truth that there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved, that which is the name of Jesus Christ. Men, would you stand please too? Heavenly Father, for this church, we thank you that we can take time today to worship you. You are our Savior, but I thank you today, Lord, that we could also look across the room and, and just give honor to the, the women here and to the moms and say, thank you, moms. Do not give up. Keep raising your children to be godly. Stand for truth. You are not alone. Men, as you are standing here, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you equip these men to be the encouragers, to be the cheerleaders, to be the ones that say, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for making the right choice. And as men, we will stand there and say, what else can we do to make sure we are doing the same thing? Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. We love you. We give you all the praise and glory in thy name. Amen.